welcome back to Killer Astrology, the podcast. I'm your host, Laura, and today we're covering the story of a young, love-struck woman who shamelessly shot and killed her lover in the middle of a busy London street. She was an independent woman with a jealous streak that ran deep. This is the story of Ruth Ellis. Ruth Ellis was born Ruth Nielsen in the fall of 1926 in Wales. She was the daughter of Elisabetta Nielsen, a homemaker who had fled Belgium after the German invasion during World War I. Her father was Arthur Nielsen, a traveling cellist. Ruth was one of five children in a large family that sometimes struggled to make ends meet, as Arthur's job could be pretty unpredictable. It moved them frequently to new towns all over the UK, and even had them living on cruise ships. When Arthur was working, the family was pretty well off, but when he wasn't, money was tight. Ruth never did too well in school, but by the time she was a young teenager, her studies couldn't take priority. She needed to leave school to help support herself and her family after they moved to London around 1950. Ruth was an undeniably hard worker who wasn't afraid to get her hands dirty. At 14, she was working at the Woolworths factory, making just about two pounds a day. Factory work was tough, but instead of letting it get her down, it actually energized her. While she was working, Ruth became a young girl who was out on her own, making her own money, and using it as she saw fit. It gave her a sense of power and autonomy, and that sense of autonomy only grew. At the end of her work days, Ruth wound up needing a way to let off some steam, and she found her outlet quickly. By the time she was 16, Ruth had started to find her freedom through dancing, and a little bit of minor rule-breaking. She dyed her hair blonde, which at the time was kind of an act of rebellion. Although that seems outrageous now, dyeing her hair made Ruth stand out from the crowd. It gave her a label and a reputation, but she was a boundary pusher who kind of liked being different. She embraced her individuality and took her reputation one step further by becoming a regular patron of many of London's nightclubs. It was at one of these clubs where she would meet her first love, Claire. Claire was a Canadian soldier stationed in the UK during World War II, and he was a catch. A charming man with an intriguing background, Ruth fell for him quickly, and she fell hard. After spending many nights together, Claire told Ruth that he wanted to marry her, and of course she returned the sentiment. But it turned out that Claire was too good to be true, as he was actually married with kids back in his home country. By the time Ruth discovered his secret, she was already pregnant with his child, and although she and Claire wound up breaking things off, she had that child and named him Claire Andrea Nielsen, after her first love. She and her family called the baby Andy, and immediately Ruth was focused on giving Andy a good life, and she knew that required financial stability. Ruth aspired to be an independent mother who did not rely on anyone else for support. So, she started to make money the quickest way she knew how, modeling nude. As it turned out, posing for the camera came very naturally to Ruth, and it seems that she enjoyed her work. She had a magnetism about her that attracted men, and she discovered that she could use this to her benefit. While she did well enough as a model, It wasn't long before she took a different opportunity to work as a hostess at a London club called The Little Club. Now, at the types of clubs that Ruth frequented, the word hostess had a very different meaning than it does to us today. She was actually more like an escort, 
and it was expected that she would sleep with men at the club, which would make her some extra cash. While this wasn't an easy life, it was a gold mine, and Ruth was soon very well off. She wound up managing the little club, which put her in a position to rub shoulders with some wealthy people. Ruth swore to herself that while she was working at the club, she would not get romantically involved with a customer. But it didn't take long for her to break that promise, as she eventually met and married George Ellis, a 41-year-old dentist who was financially stable, but emotionally the opposite. George was an alcoholic with severe trust issues, and he firmly believed that Ruth was cheating on him. Although she became pregnant again with her second child, Georgina, Ruth and George divorced less than a year after their marriage. After her divorce, Ruth moved in with her parents for a time, but ultimately resumed her work as a hostess. It wasn't long before she met her next lover, David Blakely, who was an adventurous, aspiring race car driver. Although David came from a wealthy family, he himself lacked the desire to be financially independent and preferred to rely on Ruth for that stability. He moved in with her, and lived off her, spending most of his money on alcohol and scoring free drinks from her at the club. The relationship was turbulent, to say the least, as he was a violent and angry drunk and activated those qualities within Ruth, who would fight back. On top of the violence and alcohol abuse that riddled the relationship, there was intense jealousy on both sides. While the two were in love, Ruth and David were always cheating on each other, and they both knew it, I mean, Ruth was still sleeping with men at the club to make a living. In the midst of all this drama, Ruth met another man, Desmond Cusson, who fell completely in love with her. He asked Ruth to move in with him, and she said yes, because at this point, the pattern of abuse between her and David actually wound up getting her kicked out of her apartment. As you may imagine, this move created a nasty love triangle between all three players, Ruth never broke up with David, so she treated Desmond very poorly. While she lived with him, she invited David over all the time, and he would stay the night while Desmond was home. But Desmond let it happen, and he could not break free of his love for Ruth. Now, if you think about it, Ruth and Desmond actually had a lot in common. Ruth was in love with a man who couldn't treat her right, and Desmond was in love with Ruth, who could never give him what he needed. Now, this situation was bad enough, but it only got worse from there. Let's fast forward to Easter weekend, 1955. By this point, a lot has happened between Desmond and Ruth, between Ruth and David, between all three together. There have been screaming matches and fistfights and a couple of black eyes. There's even been a miscarriage, probably brought on by David punching Ruth in the stomach. With all of this terribleness just in the recent past, David and Ruth are scheduled to meet. They decide to spend the weekend together, and Ruth goes to the restaurant where they're supposed to meet up. She sits down, and she waits. And she waits, and she waits, and David doesn't show. So she becomes increasingly angry with each passing minute, wondering where he is and even worse, who he's with. She gets an idea of where he might be, a friend's house, so she goes there, and drunk and angry, she knocks on the door and demands that David come out. But he won't. And since she doesn't have the chance to unleash her anger on him, 
she decides to take it out on his car, his beloved possession and the symbol of his future success. In the midst of her violent outburst, she's approached by a cop who doesn't arrest her but instructs her to go home, and she listens. But on her way home, her fury just grows. She gets back home with a man who has proven his undying allegiance to her, and with him she formulates a plan. She decides she's done with David, and with Desmond's help, she will learn how to shoot a gun and finally free herself from the binds of this torturous relationship with David. By April 10th, Easter Sunday, all of the prep work is done, and Ruth travels to the Magdala pub, where David is finishing up some drinks with his friends. She peeps in to make sure he's in there, and then she waits for him to leave. He walks out of the pub, and as he turns to walk down the street, she lifts her gun and she shoots. The first bullet fails to meet its target and accidentally grazes the hand of a woman who's walking down the street. But the next time she pulls the trigger, Ruth successfully hits David in the back. But she doesn't lay off. She moves in closer, she stands over her former lover who's laying on the ground, and she shoots him again and again as he lies bleeding in the street. A crowd gathers around the scene, but instead of running scared, Ruth turns to a man in the crowd, and as the Irish Times recalls, she says, will you call the police? And the man, who is himself an off-duty cop, says, I am the police. And Ruth calmly, coolly responds, will you please arrest me? After this whole affair, Ruth is taken into custody and quickly scheduled to stand trial. The trial began on June 20th, 1955, and Ruth pled not guilty, but only at the request of her lawyers. She initially intended to plead guilty, and during the trial made almost no attempt to gain the sympathy of the jury. She even stated, quote, It's obvious when I shot him that I intended to kill him. End quote. She left out many of the details that really could have spared her a harsh punishment, like the extent of the violence in her relationship with David and the fact that she had an accomplice. Desmond Cusson taught her how to shoot the weapon that killed her lover, and he drove her to the site of the murder before he took off. The whole trial took just 25 minutes, and at the end, Ruth was sentenced to death for her crimes. She was advised to appeal, which she did, only 24 hours prior to the carrying out of her sentence. She gave more details about Desmond's involvement, but by this time he had disappeared to Australia. Police only looked for one day before deciding to go through with Ruth's punishment. And on July 13, 1955, just a few weeks after her trial, Ruth Ellis was executed by hanging. Ruth's death sparked outrage in the public. There had been petitions to lower her charge to manslaughter and lessen her sentence, but those petitions were unsuccessful. People were furious, believing that the extent of David's abuse should have been taken into consideration during the trial. The idea was even thrown around that Ruth's gender should have saved her the death penalty. Even her executioner, who was a famous member of his profession, if you can imagine such a thing, said that he felt uncomfortable completing the job after Ruth smiled kindly at him in the gallows and he was struck by her bravery. Because of the public's response to her punishment, Ruth became the last woman ever to be hanged in Britain. Her case was a turning point for the British legal system as it sparked the question of whether courts should consider degrees of murder when deciding punishments. 
Unfortunately for Ruth, the change wasn't made until after her death. We can gain a lot of insight into Ruth's personality and her impact on British law by looking at the astrology of her story. In the next segment, we'll analyze her birth chart, some important transits she experienced on the day of David's murder, the ways in which astrology impacted her trial, and the effect of her death on her country. Let's take a look now. Ruth Nielsen was born on October 9, 1926, in Rill, Wales. Exact time unknown. I obviously looked at a couple of different birth times for Ruth, because as you may have noticed, I tend to go into rabbit holes with that. But I couldn't find anything. I'll give you my thoughts on when she might have been born, of course, but first we'll discuss what we know for sure. Even if you're relatively new to astrology, you might not be surprised to hear that Ruth was a Libra. With her lifelong love of fashion and just a tinge of vanity, she transfixed men with her Venusian nature for years. Now the ruler of Libra is Venus, and getting to know Venus can give us some insight into what drives Libra, and therefore what forces may have been influencing Ruth. In Roman times, Venus was the goddess of agriculture, love, and war. Much of her mythology comes from the Greek story of Aphrodite, whose reign presented some stark dualities. Aphrodite had a hand in love and war, and she ruled chastity, but was also a protector of prostitutes. A goddess herself, Aphrodite had many affairs in the realm of the gods, but she also enticed men down on earth. She was able to exercise influence over others' affairs as well, and would play with mortals' relationships. She would initiate fights between couples and later patch things up again. She's actually said to have started the Trojan War, promising a Trojan soldier a beautiful wife, a wife whose family raised an army to take her back. As it's been said, there's a thin line between love and hate, and a thin line between love and war. Aphrodite represented both sides of the coin, and like Aphrodite, Ruth had this duality active within her. One indicator of this in her chart is an opposition between warrior Mars and the nurturing, loving energy of the moon. With each of these planets on either side of her chart, Mars and the moon seem to be pulling her in two separate directions. She also has a similar tension in the relationship between Venus, whose energy is highly feminine, and Uranus, another masculine planet which can bring explosive and unprecedented change. The Uranus opposition to Venus put many of those changes in the realm of love. The way that Ruth used her femininity is central to understanding her life story, and there's one more astrological point that's tied to this. It's the black moon Lilith, the point in the chart that in a very simplified explanation represents rebellion. Ruth's Lilith was in Virgo, the sign of the Virgin. Virgo can be broadly characterized as innocent, meek, and modest, which Ruth was not. Lilith and Virgo helped Ruth embody the opposite of those characteristics and empowered her to be much less guarded about her sexuality. There are loads of other things we could learn about Ruth and her personality and the qualities of her relationships and her life transitions if we only knew her birth time. I mentioned before that I have a few guesses about what that may be, and I'll mention two very briefly right now. The first chart is for 8.10 a.m. on October 9th, 
and it gives Ruth a Scorpio ascendant. I like this chart for a lot of reasons, including the ascendant and that it puts her son in the 12th house and her Venus in the 11th. But my favorite thing about this chart is that it puts Mars in her 7th house. Many people with Mars in the 7th have issues of power in their relationships. They tend either to exert too much power over their partner or to let their partner take too much control of them. It can also indicate relationship violence, which we see all over the place in Ruth's story. The second chart that I like for Ruth is at around 6 p.m., and it's kind of the opposite of the first chart I mentioned. It gives Ruth a Taurus ascendant and puts her Saturn in the seventh house, which can also indicate difficulty in relationships, in addition to a very strong need to work out those issues in one's lifetime. The 6 p.m. birth time also puts Lilith, Venus, the Sun, and Mercury all in Ruth's 6th house, the house of work and daily routines. Having the Sun in the 6th means that personal development is completely tied to work, and Venus here means that love connections can come from work connections. In Ruth's case, Lilith here would also mean that her rebellion develops in the realm of work. All of these things are true for her, And of course, we can't be sure exactly what time is correct for her birth, if either of these choices that I've presented are correct, but I wanted to present them to you anyway, just in the interest of curiosity. Regardless of her birth time, there's one more fact about Ruth's chart that's worth mentioning. In April of 1955, Ruth was just starting her Saturn return. About a month before she killed David Blakely, Saturn was direct and two degrees away from Ruth's natal Saturn. But on March 1st, 1955, Saturn went retrograde, and one month later, Ruth committed her murder. The Saturn return is a big time in anyone's life. It's tied to lots of personal changes and difficult emotional experiences, and it may explain why Ruth felt completely unable to manage her rage without taking it out. In fact, on the day that she killed her lover, Saturn was opposite her natal Mars, forcing her to acknowledge the forces of anger and passion in her life. And it could be that this was just too much to keep inside, and she felt she had to release it. With Mars being retrograde and Saturn being retrograde, this was a lot of difficult emotion and energy and drive to keep bottled up inside, and she just couldn't contain it. I want to move on to discuss a point about Ruth's trial. It involves retrogrades, and I think it's really important. At the time of the trial, Mercury was in retrograde, and this was critical to how the trial played out, because as we discussed earlier, there was a lot of information that didn't come out during the trial. If Mercury were direct, maybe she would have been more compelled to share, to share her story, to share the extent of David's violence against her and the reality of Desmond's involvement. But she held everything in, and we know that retrograde energy is directed inward. During the trial, Mercury was also quincunx to Ruth's natal Saturn. A quincunx is a stress aspect that indicates a lot of unconscious difficulty between two planets. Saturn is tied to our karma and Mercury to our communication. So in this case, I think this aspect was influencing Ruth to keep her information quiet. And doing this would ensure that she was punished, that her karma was returned back to her quickly. 
There's one other astrological influence that I want to discuss before we end, and that's on the astrology of the day of Ruth's execution. At this point, we know that Ruth's death had a significant effect on her country, on the people her case touched, and on the country's legal system. The time of her execution was the one time I did know in this story, so I looked at the synastry between Ruth's moment of death and the birth chart for modern Britain. The field of astrology that analyzes the planet's influence on countries, politics, and systems is called mundane astrology, and it's really very formulaic. In mundane astrology, the sun represents government leaders, and the moon represents the people and their opinions. On the date of Ruth's execution, in that chart, the sun was exactly conjunct the moon in England's chart, meaning that the leader's decision to execute Ruth was directly impacting the country's people. It shined a bright light on what the people believed was right for their country. Additionally, the moon in the execution chart is very closely conjunct the north node in England's birth chart. This says to me that the opinion of the people would move England forward on its path. And that definitely happened because it was the people's opinions that motivated officials to stop executing women after the trial. I know I talked about so many different things in this episode, and as always, I have more to say. I may pick this case back up again in the future, but for now, we'll end here. Be sure to check in next week because I'll be discussing a case you won't want to miss. Until then, remember... People may lie, but the stars never do. If you liked what you heard today, please share this podcast with your friends and consider leaving a five-star rating. You can follow the podcast on social media using the information in the episode description. Visit my website, killerastrologypodcast.com, for reference information for each episode and more.